Hello, small business owners. Welcome to this episode of the Freedom Focus Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking very specifically about selling your business. And to bring a professional perspective to this topic, I'm going to be joined today by a very special guest, Lisa Riley. Lisa is the owner of Delta Business Advisors, and she serves on the board of directors of the International Business Brokers Association, or IBBA, as well as the Arizona Business Brokers Association, including serving as chairman for both of the organizations. Lisa lives in Arizona, but she represents buyers and sellers of businesses all over the United States. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Why, thank you. And I do have to correct a couple things. I'm the former chair of both yes, organizations. Yes, yes, yes. Of course. <laughs> that was a position you held and then and then of course uh, you're out. But but it's a it's an accolade accolade I wanted to make sure I gave you credit for. Yeah. And, and I'm also formerly on the board of the Arizona Business Brokers Association. Okay. I resigned. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Making more time for other important things. So yeah. excellent. Now, as many of my listeners know, I, I talk a lot about freedom for small business owners in terms of freedom to exit, which is the highest level of freedom on my business owner, freedom hierarchy. Today's our chance to dig a little deeper into the process of selling your business, although we're not going to be going through the how-to of how to sell your business. That's for another time. We're going to be looking at exiting your business in general and providing some food for thought for those of you who might be thinking about selling your business. Now, Lisa and I, we actually, uh, as Lisa, you might remember, we met back in 2020. I was a guest speaker for the IBBA National Conference, which back in the summer of 2020 had gone online because of COVID. And I spoke at that uh, at the as one of the guest speakers in one of the sessions, and you attended. And um, I don't know, do you remember that session that I taught very well? Hopefully it was memorable to you. <laughs> it was memorable. You hit on all the important keys. I should have went back and and looked at my notes, but yes, it was one of the best because I then we reached out to connect after that. Excellent, to which I really appreciate. And and, and, uh, uh, I often get to a place where I've got people that are uh, looking to sell their business and I have been been trying to to share that business or those referrals with Lisa as much as I can. Um, Lisa, there was a quote in your bio that you shared with me that I want to uh, share back and then have you comment on it. You said, uh, quote, as a current and former business owner, um, you understand the demands and freedoms of both one's business and moving into the next phase of life. And so I talk about the idea of of a freedom to exit, meaning you could choose to sell and move on to another part of of your life. But talk a little bit more about that part uh, and that quote as part of your bio. Well, I had a little fledgling um, evaluation practice in Omaha, Nebraska, before we moved down here. And trying to do that long distance, because all my key contacts and and clientele were there, was unavoidable and sooner or later just became too much of a problem flying back and forth. So who knew? I could have sold my business at that time. (laughs) I just referred everybody to a colleague of mine who I knew would take good care of them um, and moved on my way. I've had several conversations with others as well who have closed down multi-million dollar businesses because they just did not understand 
that there was a process. So there is a process for some, for most businesses owners. But the freedom I mentioned there is the freedom to go on vacation for two weeks or a month. One question we always ask anybody who comes to us. So if we sent you on an all-inclusive, all-paid trip to somewhere without any cell phone service, could your business survive without you for those two weeks? Right, right. If the answer is no, there may be a little bit of work to do. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. And you're, and you're actually leading, uh, leading into some of my other questions, which is, is that, that business owner that's not quite prepared uh, in, in reality. So, um, and in fact, the article that I just wrote uh, last week that I, I put out to my email list, um, and I'll have a link of that uh, to the show notes today, we talk about there's, there's more than one way to, to of course, uh, exit your business. Um, one is just to close down, like Lisa just shared with everybody, of mm-hmm. course, and to walk away, but you're going to be leaving something on the table. That's Lisa's point she was stressing there. Or you can sell. Um, and of course, you could also leave it to your 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 family members, but that usually involves a sale too, doesn't it, Lisa? When you're when you're actually you're uh, uh, giving it to or transferring it to your family, that's still a sales process, wouldn't you say? Or 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 is that inaccurate? No, it is. And there are consequences, tax consequences, liabilities for both parties that we have been working with a lot of internal sales, be that to a family member or a current employee um, lately, because it is a very good way to sell your business if that family member or employee is both qualified and has the desire Right. to purchase and, and run the business. Right, right. And de- desire and and uh, and uh, being prepared or, or qualified certainly make a lot of sense. Now, I sold, as most everybody knows that's been a listener, I sold my business to three of my employees. And, um, uh, and, and so I was, I was in that process of doing a sale, but it would have been very similar had it been to a, to a family member. So Lisa, what's the typical business size by number of employees or annual revenue that you typically work with? Just so everybody can have a little bit idea of the, this range of clients that you work with. We typically work with um, clients who have revenues on the sales side of one to 20 million. Now that doesn't mean we we don't go lower because we'll talk later about what the main street, lower middle market difference are. But those are the ones that, that most people are looking for because they can walk away from the business and the cash flow is greater and the multiple is greater. Now, with that said, that's not the only, the revenue is not the only thing of importance. It's the bottom line and how you compare to your industry. Right. And that bottom line is for a Main Street build business, which is one that typically sells for 2 million or less, that is typically multiples, we'll discuss later, of seller's discretionary earnings, which is what it basically puts in the pocket of an owner operator. Right. Now, if that amount is two to 300K, then we, we start to have a saleable business at the four, five, 600K range, and people are looking to buy that all day long. So, so it depends. 
Yeah. And Lisa, well, let's take a second because um, you've thrown out a few terms that I cover in my the article I just wrote. But mm-hmm. but uh, talk a little bit about um, two things that you brought up. One is multiples and the discretionary uh, owner's discretionary income. Those two are the variables that you use, I know, in your in your standard formula. So let's let's uh, talk just a little about what each of those are. OK, um, sellers. I'm going to start with EBITDA, which was the next part for the lower middle market. EBITDA is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. So that's what EBITDA is. And that's where one of the multiples is that can range anywhere between three to seven or eight. The multiples always get larger as the business is larger. The smaller the business, the smaller the multiple, no matter how they're doing. Gotcha. (laughs) So um, that's what EBITDA is. And those are the businesses that typically sell for $2 million or more is based on a multiple of that. Now, that multiple depends upon industry and depends upon how the business compares to the average business in that industry. Okay. On the smaller businesses, those that that truly have an owner operator working, then that is sold on multiples of seller's discretionary earnings, seller's cash flow, seller's free cash flow. You'll hear all different types of words. They all mean the same thing. It's that EBITDA earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. So on your tax return, you can go down and say, okay, what's my bottom line? That's my earnings. Got it. What's my depreciation that I did that year? That adds back to it. What's the interest I paid? That adds back to it. What's my amortization? That adds back to it. If I don't have any, that's okay. No add backs. So that's right there. And once we get that, then we take one full-time owner-operator salary. Okay. So if you're working approximately 20 hours a week and making 300K, that's awesome. (laughs) I think (laughs) a lot of people would love to do that. (laughs) If you're working 60 hours a week and making less than 100K, that becomes problematic. Nobody wants to buy a job where they're working all the time. Right, right. But that's all added back in, and that gets the seller's discretionary earnings. And on Main Street businesses, those that sell there, the multiple typically across the board, across industries, ranges from about one to three. One to three. On average, that gives us two. And that's been pretty much the standard yeah. for eons. So if somebody, so if an owner more or less is putting, you know, uh, $100,000 or let's say $200,000 in their pocket each year, then mm-hmm. that per, then that business would be worth 400,000 using a multiple of two. Is that, is that example work? That does with all things equal. Now that right. goes up and down because of everything, but yes, yes. Yeah, that's generally exactly- speaking. Because I think, I I think Lisa, a lot of people, when they think about selling their business and their business might have revenues of $2 million, um, uh, they're going to be like, well, my business is worth 2 million. Right. And, and, and they don't realize that it's actually uh, what somebody could step into your shoes and take over your income stream. Isn't that even a simpler way to say it? Maybe. Correct. But then you've got, if you own your, your 
building or if you're yep. working from home and not paying yourself rent or you're underpaying yourself rent, you've got to start taking those out. So even, for example, one of our clients who is making north of 550K a year yeah. was unsaleable to a competitor, his ideal buyer, because he didn't have any of the expenses that they would have. And therefore his business, although he was rocking it at yeah. 550K, yeah. they would have been negative. 50, 60K a year by paying expenses for employees, rent, all the things he was excluding. Gotcha. gotcha. Because he didn't need them. He was gotcha. doing it. So that was a kind of, and I'm assuming that was an example that might, might be a real example that you just shared? Yes, I only share real examples okay. because it does no good to make them up. <laughs> Okay. And so, so that was a business owner that uh, had kind of a, a bad news when they started, started digging into what does it really look like if I wanted to sell? Yeah. This type of buyer. And, yeah. and we're going to talk about the different types of buyers and the value of the business varies greatly depending upon the type of buyer. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So um, let me see here. What do you, so in, in today's marketplace and, and the economy shifting, what type of business are you seeing the most sale of right now? What kind of, the, what kind of businesses? Well, the market pulse for Q1 of, of this year went out the results uh, earlier, well, a couple months ago. So I will give you those results. Okay. Once again, they vary by size of deal. So those businesses that sold for less than 500,000, the top three were restaurants, which have regained. They, in Q2 of 2020, restaurants fell off the chart. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> and hospitality, and now they are coming back. So, yeah. so they're, begin, they're being transacted. The second and third are personal services and business services. So that is a big lump of any service type of business has become really popular there. Okay. Those that sold, and I'll start with the main street. So those that sold between that 500K and a million were consumer goods. So anything, any product that you could sell. Okay. Um, but these were all very close. That was about 16% personal and business services were again, right up there. Okay. So those are the most popular. And then one to 2 million, we began, we, we start creeping up into those that were buying for different reasons. And we start to see those constructions and engineering right now, if you have a construction or engineering firm. Those are hot. Okay. Uh, pretty much across the board, especially once you get past that point, people need employees, people need or are buying jobs and contracts and they need their employees right now. Okay. And then again, personal services was really hot and health, anything health related okay. started to appear. People were, okay. were growing and acquiring. Okay. In that lower middle market, those that sold between two and 5 million, we see once again, construction and engineering, almost a quarter we're in that field. And then we've got consumer goods and manufacturing. Not surprisingly, and which has been pretty much there for a while in the five to $50 million range and manufacturing, uh -huh. you know, is, is by far clear the winner. 
and construction and engineering firms and health. Those are gotcha. the three type ones because those are what private equity groups are looking for, strategic buyers. They are all over those. Okay, gotcha. Well, thank you for sharing that. Now, in my the article that I've referred to a couple of times already, um, I, uh, I, sh I shared a market outlook from um, uh, Hagen Rogers with Watermark Advisors. And he said that we're right now shifting from a seller's market to a buyer's market over the next six to nine months. But that was one person's perspective. I just wanted to get your take on that, Lisa. Do you, do you see that same type of a situation where we've been in a selling market, he said, for about 10 years or so, and now we're going to start to shift and the buyers are going to have the edge? What's your take on that? Yes. In fact, from Q1 of last year or Q4 of last year in 2021 to Q1 of this year, in those top 1 million to 2 million, 2 million to 5 million and 5 million to 50 million. There was a slight decrease for three to 5% in each of those perceptions of being a seller's market. Oh. Right now, we still have a strong seller's market above 70, 75% for each of those, but it is shifting down. Okay. Six to nine months, you think? Is that fair? That we with, And I think, it, of course, it's tied to the economy and a number of other. He threw up some, uh, some charts that had to do with inflation. And he said, mm -hmm. as inflation goes up, the transaction numbers go way down on business sales. And he was looking at data back in the 1970s saying, we're kind of in a similar situation right now with inflation starting to go, I mean, really high, of course. And that having a depression on business sales transactions. Does that ring true? It does because because think about it. If your business was worth three million last year and it's worth two million this year, and you're putting in four or five hundred K in your pocket and you're still enjoying it. Yeah. Why would you why would you sell? Yeah. So, so good saleable business are always saleable, but at price for whom is the buyer? Right. There, there's still a lot of money out there, but yeah, it, it won't make sense if it doesn't make financial sense. And for those individual buyers who used to be able to afford a $5 million business, as inflation goes up, as interest rates go up, that value goes down and now they can't afford as high a price to business as they were just two months ago. Right, right. And so that's going to obviously have an impact on, on the business that you're, you're doing on a day-to-day -day mm -hmm. basis. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, is there I have another question that came to mind in, in preparing for our discussion today is, is there really a significant difference between the sales process of a product business versus a service business? Are they more or less the same? It's um, they, they are more or less the same, the process. The major difference is in Main Street versus lower M&A versus M&A. Okay. Um, and and M&A is mergers and acquisitions, acquisitions. right? Yeah. yeah, yes. Thank you, thank you. So <laughs> larger businesses the, as you go up, up the, the line. Um, but services service business, there is one caveat that can affect a product one too. It's depending on how dependent the business is on the owner, because think wow. service businesses, you've got your CPA firms, you've got your um, attorneys, you've got your doctors, vets, 
anything that provides a service, there's always expected to be some turnover loss because a, a change in ownership is a change for time for people to think about going elsewhere. Right, right. So we were, we're going to talk about earnouts later on. Those types of businesses with those changes, or if there's the product that has a high customer concentration yep. or a really high supplier in bottleneck part, or any of those that have lots of relationships that is personal, not business, um, then those become along the same manners. Otherwise, it's pretty clean. It's easy. Products are typically easier because it's easy to see. Cost yeah. goods. This, this is what, it, what is. it is. Here's what yeah. it is. Yeah. 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 Makes sense. Perfect sense. Okay. So next question for you, what are the most important things for a small business owner to have in place when considering a sale? And that's actually a, that's a list. So, you, you know, you might have the top five or six, Lisa, because I know that list can be a little bit long, but share with a few people the things that you think are most important that they have in place if they're uh, uh, getting themselves prepared to sell. Okay. There are three that I think are critical. One is financials. Now, small businesses, unless you're working with the government, you're probably not going to have audited financials. And I don't care if the private equity groups ask you for it, you're not going to have it. It's yeah. just not part of it. Yeah. But what you will have is an income statement, also known as a profit and loss, and you will have a balance sheet. Make sure two to three years before you're thinking about selling, you start getting those cleaned up. Now, what do I mean by cleaned up? I simply mean you work out all those personal or discretionary items you have on those. If you have your timeshare on your business balance sheet, you start pulling all those off. Okay. If you are paying for your family vacations, you start leaving that in there and just paying outside whatever you get. Um, and you start making sure those are clean and they make sense year to year, or you've got a good explanation. Yeah, I had a one-time HVAC, obviously. We've all had that here in Arizona. Had yep. a one-time HVAC expense, and we replaced all the, the HVACs. And if you've lived in Arizona long enough, you're going to have that expense. <laughs> <laughs> we so definitely know that. That's the first one. Second is having that good employee or management team so you can leave your business. Now, you might not be able to go for a week or two without checking in, but at least you can get away for a weekend, or at least there are people there that can make decisions. The more business, business running, business running um, when you're gone, business running without you to some extent anyway. Yes. Yeah. And, and that's, that's good. And the third is having written processes, procedures, or once again, can the business run without you or if somebody left, will it leave a big hole in your business? Can somebody else come in, open the door? Do you have a set process for, oh, this is how we open the store. This is how we greet customers. This is how we do X, Y, Z all the way along to how we close down for the day. Those things are good. Um, the, the other two that I'm going to say, because we do have a whole laundry list, but those are the top three. But okay. the other two that are critical for me that are less critical for some is, do you have a plan for the future? Mm. 
what are your personal goals? What are your professional goals? And what are your financial goals? And are those in alignment with those who are important in your life? And most importantly, your financial advisor yeah. um, to make sure if you sell, you can afford to live the quality of life you want or do the things you want to do. And the other one is, what is the culture of the company? Yeah. Okay. As a sociologist, you can believe this is near and dear to my heart. <laughs> Are your employees happy? Do people like coming in? And if not, you know, what, what can be done in that time period to get, get this in, to get more buy-in? Yeah. Do you have a revolving door on employees? Yeah. You know what? Um, uh, Lisa, uh, I, I explained, of course, at the beginning that Lisa and I first met serendipitously, if you will, because I was fortunate to be a, a guest speaker at the conference for IBBA. Um, but what she just shared with you uh, hits on the points that we talk about in Freedom Focus that are so important. She talked about culture, which is core values, which she talked about vision and goals, which, of course, are key to freedom focused. She talked about processes, which we've talked about on and on. So Lisa, um, and these were not planted responses from, from Lisa. So I am uh, gratified and heartened that the things that she talks about being so important uh, are things that um, we talk about business owners uh, achieving. So Lisa, I have a follow-up question to that list that you just shared with us. And that is, uh, and you're going to have to kind of wing this one, perhaps, or maybe you have a really good sense of it, but what percentage of business owners would you estimate have the items, these, well, let's talk about the three and then maybe stretch it out to the five, which I think we're really pushing it. Now it's a bigger list, but what percentage, uh, when you get a, when you start your conversations with a business owner, have these things in place already? A handful may have one or two, but it don't. Don't, don't start worrying that you're behind the curve because most, most are lacking yeah. or most are lacking in some ways. A lot we find out, you know, well, it's all in my head or I've trained XYZ to do this and they know, where's your manual? Oh, it's somewhere <laughs> <laughs> in a cabinet. <laughs> we Collecting haven't updated dust. it. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so it, it is, I think... I had two clients whose income statements matched their tax returns to the penny in nice. 11 years. Nice. Well, <laughs> so. that's a, and that, that's a, that says a lot right there. And you'd think that at least the financial statements would be the easiest one, or at least the most obvious one that people would have together. But I guess certainly that does not appear to be the case. No, no. no. And then there, there's one other aspect of that, um, that in the two to three years before, you should be identifying at least the kind or type of buyer who's most likely going to be the right fit for your business, because that meets with those professional goals and where you can hang your hat elsewhere. Excellent. And, and, and that type of buyer is just as critical as to when. And when I went through the process of selling my business and, and, and I sold, um, I actually, those of you who know my story, in 2015, I tried really hard uh, to sell my business talking to about six different business um, uh, colleagues, you might say, that were in the same business as me. So that was fairly obvious. 
um, ultimately sold to three of my employees. But Lisa, when you're working with a with a, a business owner, are, are they are they um, do you usually ask them to give a list of who they think might be a good buyer, and then you you instead of you starting from scratch out there looking across the world, um, you're actually looking at uh, maybe a list that they provide you of who they think might be good opportunities. That truly depends on on the type of process we go through. And, and that's why it's very critical. One of our first questions, again, is there anybody within the company, family member, employee, that you think would be able to run the business and could afford to buy it? And, yeah. and typically, the affordability, depending on the size of the business, we've got investors who will help out, or there are lenders, depending on the, the strength of that child or family member or employee. So okay. if there's somebody within, that's great. The unfortunate part is most people do come and I've got this employee or my child's going to take over and they don't want it. Hmm. And then we go out. Now, if we go out to market, we will look at who they identify. We get two lists. One, those who they think might be good and those who they don't want to know no matter what. If somebody XYZ calls, they they cannot buy my company. I don't care what. And Got at it. the beginning, that's okay because people have those and it can range whatever the reason is. Right. Um, and that's fine. And we've never had anybody go back to one of those lists, but I say, don't roll them out completely. Right. They might be your ideal buyer or there may be a reason for it, but we'll right. keep them on a no, no show list right now. <laughs> got it. Got it. Got it. That makes sense to, to keep them in the fold, but uh, at least be aware of them. So you don't bring them in on accident. Uh, mm -hmm. If they, they were to reach out to you um, for that now. So Lisa, clearly business, small business owners um, are going to come up a little short on those key items that you think uh, they should have in place. So I guess the next question is, is how much, how much do you, or I should, uh, there's going to be two part question. One is generally speaking, and then there's Lisa, but how much do you work with uh, those, those uh, sellers to get them ready for sale? And, and if you do, uh, is that a process where you, you know, you'll, you'll work with them over a long period of time um, or, or you send them away and say, come back to me in a year when you're ready. How, how does that usually look? And does it happen very often? We really at Delta Business Advisors are focused on the transaction part of it. So when somebody is ready for sale, because what we have found is that there are a plethora of people and firms out there who do really good jobs getting helping business owners, coaches, and Darren's one of the best, um, <laughs> and so on, that will get our, our future clients ready. Yeah. So we, we don't want to go into that space because then it takes away, you know, what we do and what we do very well. Yeah, yeah. We make the process as smooth as possible to get you over the humps, to get you to that closing table at the right time with the right buyer and, and the right future planned out. Right. Now, we, we do refer out, we refer out, and hopefully, you know, people come back to us. But most of the time, people fall in love with their business again. Ah, 
Ah. which is a good thing in my opinion. And then they can come back to us in the future. <laughs> right, right, right. Cause that, cause as I say, um, there's a couple of things that are certain in life, um, uh, death and taxes. And I throw in a uh, business owner actually selling your business. It's some form you're going to leave your business or exiting your business. So mm-hmm. Lisa, you will always have somebody coming back to you potentially, <laughs> or the odds are, are guaranteed that somebody will will be exiting. Hopefully, uh, that means that they'll come back to you when that day comes. So, mm-hmm. um, I, I want to uh, the last thing I want to talk about, and and you've already kind of uh, tossed out there uh, that we're that this is something that that was important for us to discuss, and that is this t- this term called an earnout clause or an earnout for a business if it's going to be sold, and that's that's really important because it has to do with freedom. It has to do with your ability to leave when you're ready. But Lisa, why don't you share with everybody? Because you're the expert, not me. What what's what is an earnout clause? Um, what does that look like? And how often do you see that happening? Or what circumstances? Okay, earnouts. Okay, first let me tell you a little bit about what a seller carry is, because then you can get to start thinking about the difference. A seller okay. carry is where the seller has some amount that they are basically the bank for. It could be a little bit, it could be a lot. They get their monthly payments. And if they're smart, they have all the other terms in the promissory note, like monthly P&Ls or whatever metrics they need to measure. So you're getting those and you're, you're getting your money on a set schedule, monthly interest, exactly. On the other hand, an earnout occurs when the buyer and the seller cannot agree upon the value of the business. Hmm. The value of the business, the owner thinks, is a lot more than the buyer is willing to pay. Now, this is for a lot of reasons. One, it could be a customer concentration, if your customer will leave, a contract or something. Or the owner might just be saying, okay, all these contracts are expiring, but you're going to get them. They're going to be X more. And the buyer's like, well, okay, they're going to expire in a year or two. There's no guarantee we get them in the future. So it's always the earnout is based upon a future event. We've seen really bad ones and never, never, in my opinion, and I'll surface this by saying, in my opinion, Uh if you're going to do an earnout, you should only tie it to revenue numbers. Those are easy to agree upon. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's, yeah. It's, a, it's at what point in the future is this revenue hit? So for example, we'll just take it an easy example. Here's a $3 million business. And the buyer thinks it's worth $2 million, And the seller's like, no, 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 no. We're, we're, we're at $3 million because of XYZ. Well, if the $2 million, whatever terms they are, seller carry, all cash, whatever for that $2 million, that leaves that million out there for an earnout. Gotcha. Now, this earnout, the terms, you asked me what typical is, uh, look up at night and see the stars in the sky. <laughs> That's how many different options you can have. <laughs> okay. Okay. Fair enough. But, but here's one example. So they say, okay. So we've got a $10 million company in revenue and it had gone down to $8 million. So they're saying within a year, we'll be back and hitting the 10 million. Okay. And so, you know, within that year, if that is, then maybe they get 500,000 at that point. Okay. The following year, they'd have to be whatever percentage above that 
that they would be expecting. So maybe they would need to be, you know, 10, 11 million or so, and then they'd get the other 500,000. The reason sellers do not like these is it's imaginary money. Yeah. It may never come to you. Yeah. You have no control over whether or not it happens. Right. Can they be structured right? Yes. Are most of them structured incorrectly or wrong? Yes. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're going to do scary. an earnout, make sure you understand and can live on whatever that amount is that's not in the earnout. Right. The actual. And that's what happened to me, Lisa, when I was uh, looking to sell, um, talking to the half dozen buyers or so, um, I was offered uh, I was offered an, an amount of money and they said um, that uh, they would pay me, you know, a certain amount at the beginning as a first check. And then they would give me in the year two, they would pay me um, a certain amount, um, but they would also haircut that if we didn't hit certain goals. <laughs> And all I could think to myself was, is, but I have no control over that. If you're a bad business owner mm -hmm. and, and, and you run the business poorly, then I'm the one that's going to take the haircut on that. So I, I totally appreciate what you said about that downside for a seller, but it's, but it's an extremely real thing that's in the marketplace for buying and selling businesses. This isn't something, this is something that a lot of business owners uh, can, can likely expect to pop into the discussion, right? Yes, and it's going to come up. And it, we were actually surprised in the couple past two years when it didn't happen as much. Okay. But it's, it's going to happen. And, gotcha. and the, the issue as you're selling, exactly like Darren said, it doesn't make sense for the most part unless the terms or the agreement are pretty much ironclad with a Shall we say 75 to, to 99 chance of making it? Got it. Got it. Got it. Otherwise, it's a, it's a crapshoot, isn't it? Yeah. And so I guess last question on that would be, is it, can you even throw a percentage on there just so people would have an idea? What percentage of businesses do you think have earnouts attached to them? Just so people can have a reference if they wade into this space. And in that Market Pulse report you were mentioning, Yep. Um, we, we found that between one and 4% of the deals, depending upon the size category, had an earnout component. Okay. Now that varies. So I would say it could be, and typically the bigger the deal, the greater the chance of the earnout, but that's not always true. We've seen them in those less than 500K. Gotcha. Purchase and you and, yeah. and, and you already, uh, which was wonderful, you already talked ahead of time earlier in our conversation about owners that, um, that get to leave versus those that have to stick around, right? And yes. uh, the deal is, is that, yeah, I'll buy the business, but you've got to continue to work in the business for a period of time. And, and in my deal, I, I had, which was pretty typical, I stuck around for, I had a, a, I had a contract to stay uh, on for a year, but uh, the, the new owners, my employ past employees, uh, yeah. they really only needed me to be there for about six months. And, and that was about, about it. But um, how often do owners need to stick around to, to uh, continue to work in the business? And what's that usual time frame for them to stick around, Lisa? Okay. 
once again, those are all over the board. However, there is a certain amount of time that's included in the purchase price. And that's for training and getting that person up. That's transition. Yeah. Transition part. And it, it can be from a few days for a very small business that somebody knows what's going on to about a month. I would say three weeks or so would be about the maximum you would want included um, in that purchase price. But again, it's what two parties will agree on. All of this is what two parties will agree on. Um, now, with that said, there are usually consulting agreements or employment contracts, depending on how critical that owner has been to the business. Okay. We've seen those for anywhere between one year, especially if it's a SBA lender on the buyer side, can only be for a maximum of one year. We've seen some that have gone on for years and years and years because the owner just loved the buyer and wanted to keep working part-time. Okay. Okay. And so, so, you know, they start it with a certain period of time, but here's the crux. Having been an entrepreneur and business owner, it is really, really, really hard to be an employee or a consultant on what was once your business. Yes. Yes. So we always focus on trying to make sure, ensure that our clients are done with that hat for their business owner, um, for that business and have the ability to move on because the buyer's going to come in, even though we say, don't make a whole lot of changes within the first six months. I don't care what type of business you are, learn what you've bought and yeah. what that cash flow is. Yeah. Even if the systems don't quite match, that's yeah. okay. Yeah. Learn it and then merge it. Not everybody listens. So there are changes that get made. And if you are a person that does not like change, this is so totally not for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And that's the word you're going to have that owner that just can't stand to, to the owner side, uh, the seller side, they can't stand to see their baby changed. And then that that seller or the buyer can't wait to make it their own, right? So it's 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 competing vision. So I, I appreciate that that point that you brought up earlier about knowing what that vision is as well. So, um, so Lisa, that's, uh, is there anything else that, that, that the listeners need to know that, that I didn't bring up that was a question or anything like that, that you think that the, uh, that the listeners should know about the process that as we've talked about it, we're just going to kind of wrap it up here with any final thoughts. Yes. One very important thing. There are lots of mistakes conceptions about selling a business. It is not a short process. On mm. average, it takes six months to a year to sell a well-priced business. Okay. So don't be making plans. Once you, <laughs> once you decide when you're ready to sell, make sure you have at least another, what, two to three years in you just in case Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're going to be there. Those, yeah. That is the one thing I wish would be out there advertised everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good final thought on that. Lisa, I really appreciate you coming uh, on the, uh, on the uh, show today and uh, sharing pearls of wisdom, of course. And um, this is not the last time I can say with a fair amount of confidence that you're going to see Lisa on the podcast. She and I are already talking about some other ways that we can collaborate and share information. And 
And again, the whole idea of exiting your business um, and the sales side, as we talked about today, um, is I think important. Uh, doing it when you want to is also important. So Lisa, thank you so much for being a guest on the show today. I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm really excited. And you haven't checked out his website, do it. (laughs) (laughs) I really appreciate that. Thanks so much, Lisa. So that's it for this week's episode. Thank you very much, as always, for being a listener. If you like the show, please be sure to share it with your friends and your colleagues. I look forward to being back with you again in two weeks. Until then, stay focused on your freedom. 